Section 17 of Pitt by Archibald Primrose, Lord Rosebery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, Part 2, Pitt and Wellesley. Wellesley's reply to this letter is well known. It is dated April 28, 1800, and is printed, though not at length, in Lord Stanhope's Life, Volume 3, page 232. He speaks in the bitterest terms of the anguish of mind he felt, that the impression produced in India would be fatally detrimental to his government, and that the slur inflicted by this Irish pinchbeck reward affected both his health and his spirits. Pitt's letter in reply, here subjoined, is the most interesting of his that we possess. It seems to combine an admirable specimen of his persuasive power in debate with the soothing affection of a brother ministering to a sick and overburdened mind. It is in itself a final and conclusive answer to the allegations of haughty heartlessness. Hampstead, Saturday, September 27, 1800. My dear Wellesley, I received last Wednesday your letter of the 28th April, and painful as were its contents to me in many respects, I had at least great consolation and satisfaction in the proof of your continued kindness and friendship which I derived from the unreserved communication of your feelings. You will, I am sure, wish me to use the same frankness in return. I certainly most deeply lament that the particular mark of the king's favor which you have received is so little adequate to your wishes and expectations, but I must fairly own to you that on the fullest reflection I cannot concur in your view of the subject. In the first place, I have always felt that in every question of reward for services, the manner in which it is given and that in which it is received determine its value in the eyes of the public much more than its own specific nature. But you must allow me to state freely that independent of this general feeling, there are particular circumstances in the present case to which you do not appear to have given the weight which I think they deserve. Nothing but the duty of stating to you exactly what I feel with the sincerity of a friend would bring me to refer to the topic I am going to mention. It was certainly to me a most sensible gratification to be able, previous to your going to India, to secure to you an object on which you set so much value as the British peerage. But surely, considering the circumstances under which the king was induced to give it, it must be considered rather as an anticipation to no small extent of the reward for distinguished service than as a foundation for higher claims when those services should have been actually performed. In this view of the subject, to have given you an English marquisette would have been to have conferred in the short course of your Indian government four steps in the British peerage, a scale of promotion certainly very unusual. The step in the Irish peerage was precisely the same proportional advancement as was given to Lord Cornwallis for his services in the same quarter, and from the manner in which you have yourself referred to them, I am sure you will join in the general feeling that to adopt such a proportion had nothing in it disparaging. 
The truth really is that in my mind, and I believe in that of almost all your friends, all feeling the same cordial and zealous interest in your just fame and consideration, the natural question seemed to be whether to recommend to the king to give you an English earldom or the Irish marquisate. From many quarters I was led to believe that you would prefer the latter, and particularly the circumstance of Barnard's being in possession of the memorandum, specifying the title to which you had looked decided my opinion. I have hitherto confined myself only to the point of promotion in the peerage, but in estimating the value of the ostensible marks of approbation and honor which you have received, and by which the public both here and in India would judge of the sense entertained of your services, there are other circumstances to be considered much more important than either an Irish or English marquisate. The unanimous thanks of both Houses of Parliament, in the marked terms in which they were conveyed, if they had been accompanied by no other distinction, would, in my judgment alone, have placed you on ground on which few servants of the public have ever stood. In addition to this decisive testimony, the provision proposed to be made by the company, independent of its intrinsic value to your family, is to be considered as a public tribute to your merits, which makes it impossible to suppose that they were depreciated in any quarter. The king's speech, to which you refer, however you may perhaps consider it in India, as with us in the House of Commons, as the speech of the minister, is at least as direct an indication of the sentiment of the sovereign and as much his act as any title which he confers. Combining all these considerations, I really cannot conceive how the public in India should feel, what I will venture to say the public in Europe have never felt, and never, I believe, will be brought to feel, that there has not been in every quarter, the highest included, the most cordial and liberal disposition to bear full testimony and do ample justice to the extent of your claims upon the public. Still less can I imagine that with all these marks of approbation from England, and with the impression which your conduct must have made on the minds of those who were nearer witnesses of it, it can have been a question whether you were likely to continue possessed of that respect and estimation from all the civil and military servants in India, which is necessary for the full support of your authority. Forgive me if I add that if any such feeling has found its way into your mind or into their conversation, it can only, I believe, have originated from some suspicion of its being entertained by yourself. That idea is at any time enough to make any but the most real friends admit that a man is mortified and ill-used. But it will hardly ever happen, unless in cases very different indeed from the present, that the opinion and language of the person most interested and of those immediately connected with him will not decide that of the public. I have now fairly stated to you my view of the subject. I cannot hope to change an opinion which I fear has taken so deep a root in your mind, but I am sure you will give a candid consideration to what I have stated, and I trust that the plainness and sincerity with which I have expressed myself 
will appear to you the best proof I could give of real friendship. With these sentiments on the subject, as it stood originally, you will not wonder if I do not see the possibility, however anxiously I wish it were possible, that anything should be now done to repair your disappointment. Indeed, your own wishes do not seem to point at any additional mark of favor, unless it had taken place on our receiving the news of the final settlement of Mysore. That period is elapsed, and I think you will agree with me that if no other objection were felt here, whatever was done now would want the grace which belongs to rewards of this nature only when they are gratuitous, and would be liable to a construction neither creditable to government nor to yourself. I have said nothing on the little intrinsic difference under the present circumstances between an English and Irish marquisate, because I conceive you look rather to the public impression than to the thing itself. But as far as in itself it may be an object, it will certainly not escape you that under the circumstances of the Union, the difference to any person already possessed of a British title is little more than nominal, scarcely extending further than to a question of style in the journals and debates of the House of Lords or of relative precedents as to four or five individuals, objects on which I do not believe such a mind as yours can set much serious value. I have not time to add anything more to this long letter, except the assurance of the cordial and unabated friendship and attachment with which I hope ever to remain, sincerely and affectionately yours, W. Pitt. Both Dundas and myself enter into and applaud the justice and delicacy of your feelings with respect to the particular fund out of which your grant was intended to be made, though the objection is rather in appearance than in substance. I am persuaded some other mode will be found of carrying into effect what was intended. Marquis Wellesley the last two letters were written when Wellesley was at war with the board of directors and are interesting mainly as showing the tender delicacy with which Pitt soothed the sore and sensitive spirit of his friend. The great viceroy, it remains to be added, landed in England in January 1806, just in time to give a farewell grasp to the emaciated hand of the great minister. The note in which Pitt writes to Wellesley of the inexpressible pleasure with which he had received the note announcing Wellesley's return is dated January 12, 1806, and is given by Lord Stanhope. Life, Volume 4, page 373. Private, Putney Hill, August 30, 1804. My dear Wellesley, the letters which you will receive by this conveyance will inform you that the king has conferred a peerage on General Lake and an extra red ribbon on your brother, General Wellesley. I hope these marks of honor will prove that a just value is attached to the brilliant and extraordinary successes which they have obtained under your auspices and direction, and I congratulate you most heartily on the advantageous and honorable peace which has been the fruit of your victories, and on a series of events which has produced so large an accession of personal glory to yourself and of power and reputation to the country. You will have heard from others 
the general history of our political situation at home, and will have seen in what has passed, and in the state of parties which it has produced, much to regret, and much, I believe, to wonder at. I have very much wished to write to you at large on the subject, but you will not wonder that I found it impossible during the session, and in the weeks that have elapsed since, to the present moment. The details of military preparation under the constant expectation of an immediate attempt at invasion have, in addition to the common course of business, furnished me incessant occupation. We are now, I trust, in a state in which we may meet with confidence any enterprise to which even the largest scale of French exertions is equal, and I believe the thing most to be wished is that they may speedily make the trial. It seems probable from what I collect of the last letters received from you that you will be on your passage home before any further accounts from hence can reach India. Indeed, unless any more time should appear to yourself to be necessary for winding up completely the result of all your labors, or unless any new or great scene should unexpectedly open for fresh exertions, I hardly think that you would be tempted to prolong your absence. If either of those cases, however, should arise, it cannot be necessary for me to assure you that every additional period for which you remain in India will be considered by us, I mean the government, for I certainly cannot answer for the court of directors, as so much gained for the public, and that everything, of course, will be done which is practicable on our part to give you the fullest and most effectual support. With the knowledge of these sentiments, you will, I am sure, decide on whatever may be the state of circumstances before you at the moment, in the way most for your own honor and the public service, without suffering that decision to be influenced by the sense that you may naturally entertain of the petty cabals and narrow views and prejudices which so often operate at the India House, and which frequently lead to an ungracious return for the services they ought most to value, believe me at all times, my dear Wellesley, sincerely and affectionately yours, W. Pitt. Downing Street, December 21st, 1804. My dear Wellesley, your brother, I find, thinks it most probable, from the last letter he has received from you, that before the present packet reaches India, you will have embarked for Europe. Even if that should not be the case, what you will learn by the present conveyance of the temper and disposition which prevails at the India House will naturally lead you to a determination not to remain longer than you may find necessary to complete such arrangements as you may think it most material to bring to a conclusion before your departure. Indeed, the advantage which the persons hostile to your measures have derived from your long silence on some of the most important transactions of your government, and particularly from their being now left without any communication from yourself respecting the war with Holkar, has made it difficult to keep them within any bounds, and things are brought to a point at which it seems to be the clear opinion of your brother and of Lord Melville and Lord Castlereagh as well as my own, that you could no longer have the means of carrying on the government in a way either creditable or satisfactory to yourself or advantageous to the public service. 
it therefore seems to us clearly desirable that you should carry into execution the intention you have expressed of returning home, if you have not done so at an earlier period, in the course of next year, and on that supposition it will probably be thought that whoever should be pitched upon to be your successor should sail from hence so as to arrive about September or October. Our intention, of course, is if possible to select for this nomination some person of high rank and consideration at home, which I trust you will agree with us in thinking a much more desirable arrangement than letting the government devolve to a company servant, even in the instance of one of so much distinguished merit as Mr. Barlow. You will, I trust, readily believe that it must be my earnest wish that you should not take your leave of India without receiving some additional public mark of the cordial sense entertained of your very transcendent services. That which I should be most anxious to obtain, because I believe it would be most agreeable to yourself, would be the blue riband, but partly from personal wishes of the king and partly from political engagements which in these times it has been impossible to avoid, I much fear that I may find it impossible. In that case, the English marquisette seems to be the only other mark of honor that can be proposed, and I hope in the view with which it will eventually be given, it will not be unacceptable. But whatever you may feel as to rewards and honors for the past, I hope the termination of your India career will restore you to us with health and inclination to take as distinguished a share as your talents and exertions entitle you to in the agitated and anxious state of politics in which you will find us involved on your return. It is, of course, impossible now to foresee how circumstances may change or what arrangements may become necessary within the next twelve months. But if the king's health should continue unshaken, of which at present there seems the fairest prospect, I am convinced we have nothing to fear from all the activity and ability of the combined opposition, though much indeed to lament, in the description of some of whom it is composed. And if on your arrival you should be as much inclined as I trust you will to give your assistance to my administration, and an opening can be found to give you as active and important a share in it as I should wish, I need hardly tell you that such a circumstance would from every public and private feeling be more gratifying to me than I can express. At all events, I look forward with eagerness to the moment when I shall find myself again in your society and to a renewal of all the habits of friendship and confidence from which for so many years I derived so large a share of happiness and comfort. Believe me always, my dear Wellesley, affectionately yours, William Pitt. End of section 17